So I'm still living the same life, same expenses as if I was making, bringing in an income, thinking that, okay, I'll close a deal, thinking that generate something with some deals, but not thinking about this money, is, the reserves is, is drying up. And it went on for months. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk. But to win big, you've got to reduce it. And I bet you're exposed to investment risk right now. To reduce it, go to myworstinvestmentever.com and download the risk reduction checklist I've made specifically for you, my podcast listeners, based on the lessons I've learned from all my guests. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Academy, and I'm here with featured guest, Troy Holt. Troy, are you ready to rock? I am. <laughs> I can feel it because I really have enjoyed the beginning of our discussion that we had before we turn on the recorder. And now, ladies and gentlemen, you will get to know Troy. So let me introduce you to the audience. Troy Holtz, more than 20 years of experience as a sales and account executive has led to his success in the areas of business growth, development, and financial planning. As an innovative leader and effective communicator, Troy's success is grounded in his impeccable work ethic and drive. Troy's expertise allows him to work as both a financial educator and as an independent coach, speaker, and trainer. Troy is also a co-author of an Amazon best-selling book and is the host of a growing podcast called Troy Talks. He serves as the chief encouragement officer of his Troy Holt Consulting Company. Troy, take a minute and fill in any further tidbits about your life. Well, first of all, I want to say thank you, Andrew, for allowing me to come and be a part of this great podcast, The Worst Investment Ever. Told him he was genius in coming up with the title and the substance that he's and the theme that he's working with. But a little bit that Andrew didn't cover me. So it's a little bit personal about me. I've been married this September. If, if I make it to see that, my wife and I, 30 years. We have a 27-year-old son and three grandchildren. And I just love people. I mean, I'm, I really get energized by connecting with people. So that's just a little personal about me. Many people don't know, but one of my greatest accomplishments is being married to my wife and happily married going on 30 years. There's a difference too, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> there yes. are some people that have been married for 30 years, right, but yeah. the word happily is right. not necessarily what they would call it. So yes. that, I tip my hat to you. Thank you. That's not an easy thing. I know yes, uh, it's not. It's a challenge and uh, yes. that's great. Now, one of the questions I have is that, you know, this feeling that you have of connecting to people and, you know, I can feel just from the moment we started talking that, that you're, yeah, I can feel your sincerity in the way that you talk and share. Has it always been that way? Were you always a person that, you know, really got energized with other people or have you changed over the years? Just tell us a little bit of your youth or your background in relation to that. Yeah. Little story. Growing up, I never thought myself as a leader. And 
I always thought a leader was somebody that had a position or a title. And so I started doing some research and, and I'm a John Maxwell coach and speaker. And I remember John Maxwell, his definition of leadership is nothing more influence, nothing more, nothing less. So I remember it was about 18 or 19, I decided to, I wanted to have just a group. It wasn't a gang, it was just a group of young guys and we were just gonna get together and hang out and do some positive things. And I was the one that say, hey, let's get together, let's do this. Let's have a president, let's have a treasurer. My mom even got involved and you know, people listen to me and, and they follow you know, my ideas and instructions. And it dawned on me when I got older that I was leading then, but I just didn't realize it. And so I've always been that, that person that have always loved to influence people to do what's right and do things that are positive. So yeah, it's always been a part of my, my DNA. That's beautiful. That's yes. beautiful to hear. Well, now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one ever goes into their worst investment thinking it will be. Tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. Yes. So the circumstances with me was I was working at a retail store as a sales rep and I ended up, well, let me go back. So April of 2014, my mom passed and my mom she wasn't, she passed at 62 and she was not sick, you know, as she was on her last leg. She was, you know, living, she did have some health ailments, but she was working on Now She was actually off work because she got, there was some snow and she slipped and fell and broke her wrist. So she was off from work short term because of that. So my mom passed unexpectedly. Well, I was working this retail job and had been working there at that time, I guess about 11 years. And I've seen a lot of changes. And my last year, every day I came to work, I felt pressure. I just didn't want to be at work. I just felt like I was in a prison. I ended up going to the doctor, you know, basically, you know, say, hey, look, you're, I'm diagnosed you with anxiety. And I just didn't, just didn't want to go to work. Many of the times I hated to be there. And when I first started, I loved it. So I hated to be there. But anyway, during the time my mom passed, my mom left us some insurance money. And so around June, I went out of work, what they call short-term disability. And basically you have either injury or health condition that you can't work and you still get paid. You don't get paid the full amount, but you get paid partial. So I think I was out 30 to 60 days and I got my first check and you can stay out for a total of six months. So I went back to my doctor and he said, well, you know, he said anything changed. I said, no, I'm still having the anxiety and things like that. So he said, well, we extended and we'll come back, submitted my paperwork, you know, to get paid again. They denied it. And so I kept trying to, trying to appeal it and, so what I said, what, my goal was, okay, since I'm dealing with this, if I had to, I was just draw short-term disability for six months. Hopefully by that time, I will find me a new job, something that I could enjoy and paid decent money, at least what same what I was making. Well, my mom passed 
and my mom left the money. So around December of that time, I put in my resignation because they denied me and I did denied the appeal to get the short term. I put in my resignation and to leave. I found a, a job. They started me off at a certain amount plus commission. And then after a couple of, couple of months, they reduced it probably about 80% and they said, we're gonna pay you higher commission, but they reduced the salary. And so my salary was basically, it was enough to pay the health insurance for me and my wife and pay taxes. And after that, just didn't have anything. That was basically what is covered. covered. So I worked that, that job about a year and a half, two years. And the sales process was long because I was selling to avoid telecommunication systems. So, so many times the process was long. So I'm still living the same life, same expenses as if I was making, bringing in an income, thinking that, okay, I'll close a deal, thinking that generate some with some deals, but not thinking about this money, is, the reserves is, is drying up. And it went on for months. And I didn't close all that time. I did a lot of prospecting and working deals, just didn't, didn't get anything closed. Long sales process. Right before I left that, that job, I did have a deal, but we couldn't get it closed because of some technical stuff. So it took longer, longer and I couldn't wait. I had to leave. And so I ended up having to take another job making less money, but it wasn't commission. It was paying hourly wage and because I needed the income, but I had spent up all the reserves that I had from the insurance money. So here I am, we don't have the reserves because my goal was not to touch the reserves, take care of my mom funeral and everything, but don't spend the reserves and just live off my salary and take the reserves and invest it. And it got dried up. And here I am, I don't have no reserves. I'm making less and I still have all the expenses that I started out. Let me ask you, can you remember a day or a time when you kind of realized that you're in this situation and you've spent it all? Like, was there a conversation with your wife? Was there a moment of you know, pain? Was there a moment of prayer? Or what was that time when you realized, damn, I've done what I was didn't want to do? Yeah, that, that, it was a combination of those, what you just said, you know, talking to my wife, prayer. I remember we, you know, we, we having this, we still periodically have this discussion. We hate, you know, matter of fact, a couple of days ago, we hate that we had that money. And, you know, again, my whole intention was, not to touch it and it was just, just leave it there but i still had to live and i think it dawned on me after it was gone then really that's when the light come on i don't have any more of these reserves it's gone what am i going to do so i felt ashamed yeah i felt angry i was disappointed i felt in a sense like why is everybody else being blessed and I'm struggling here mm. and you know I was trying to you know be wise and do what's right 
but it didn't happen for me. So I'm having all these emotions, you know, trying to explain to my wife, you know, well, what happened? Hey, we were living the same lifestyle. We didn't make any changes. We didn't make any adjustments. So, you know, we've had this conversation many times, but it, however, lesson learned, lesson learned. You know, one of the biggest lessons is when you get in that position like that to really stop and think and don't let it go months because, because I kept saying, okay, so next month, Mm. You know, I'm working on this. So hopefully I'll close a deal and I'll get that income. And next month went to month two and then month three and month four. But I'm still got responsibilities. And so it just went spiral downhill. Yep. 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 And what would you say was the, the bottom, the worst day? Probably it was the worst day was when I had to take a job and go back to retail sales. That's probably was my worst mm. day. So because the job that I had was outside sales, yep. the one that was one paying me much and I had the freedom. So yep. now I got to go back into retail and be subject to someone and don't make a lot of money, but be subject to retail. So that's probably one of my, my worst time because I'm like, Oh man, I got to go back mm. to being on a clock and have people, you know, tell me when, when I can go and when I can't go. Yep. Yep. Now, you know, the thing about this story is, you know, there's so many millions of people who are in this situation right mm-hmm. now. Right. They've been drawing down whatever savings they had. Mm-hmm. They've been losing jobs or struggling because of this pandemic situation and all that. Mm-hmm. So I want you to think about those people out there and I want you to go through the lessons that you learned from this experience. Yeah, one of the lessons I learned is that through the ordeal, and I told uh, Andrew this, I'm a man of faith. So one thing I learned is God is my source. That was probably the biggest lesson I learned whether I have a little or a lot it can be gone away quickly and don't forget that God is the source and the provider. We make it on our, we put it on ourselves as me that's doing this and generating it. But God showed me that the biggest lesson was he is the source because he sustained us. Even though we, we, we lost it, he mm. sustained us. He is the source. That's the biggest lesson. But also I learned that that I should have put a governor, I should have put a stop and buckle down and put myself, oh, oh, let me stop and let me not continue to think I have this freedom. I should have stopped Mm, and and really cut back, curb the spending to really bare minimum. And I didn't do that. Yep, yep, yep. Okay, so let me uh, summarize some of the things I took away from this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to go back in time when I was uh, when I was fourteen. I was in juvenile detention center in mm-hmm. Akron, Ohio, because of charges of incorrigibility from my parents, mm-hmm. and and then I spent a, a, a summer in a foster home, and then I came out and continued to get high and use drugs and all that stuff, mm-hmm. and ended up going through three different rehabs. The last one. 
for the whole of my high school year. And when I came out of that rehab, it was in June of 1983 when I came out of there. From that point, you know, until today, I've, I've never taken any drugs or drank any mm -hmm. alcohol. But I can remember one of the things my mom basically said, well, you don't have a job and you don't have education. And we spent all the money that we had for your education on rehab. So mm -hmm. welcome to the real world. And she <laughs> said, when you're 18, you need to be out. And I got yeah, out right. and I went to work in a factory in a production you know, line. And it was tough. I had ride my little moped like an hour to get there every day. Mm -hmm. Didn't. And I had to go to the church at times to get food. And I was on food stamps for a period of time during that mm -hmm. time. I was making, you know, minimum wage. It was tough and I didn't have anything, but I had sobriety and right. sobriety, yeah. sobriety meant I went to 12 step meetings in Akron, Ohio, where I was living. And I had my friends from those meetings and my sober friends that we hung mm -hmm. out, you know, maybe a little bit like I had a little crew, like you had a crew and, <laughs> and every day. I look forward to spending time with them and just spending quality time. Mm -hmm. And I had nothing and I had no, I had no hope that I would be able to go to university or anything like that. That, that was mm -hmm. out of, out of my mind. And the point that I come back to is that the one thing I really, really had was happiness. Yeah. I didn't have any possessions. Right. I just had happiness. Right. And, and I had, satisfaction like i was i was living a good life and i was mm -hmm. getting closer to my friends the reason why i raised that is because later in my life when i was in thailand the 1997 asian crisis happened and basically almost lost everything everything mm -hmm. and i was in my living in the factory of one of the businesses that my best friend from ohio who was there running it we were mm -hmm. living in the same factory there trying to survive after i had okay. lost my job and our business was about to crash and basically, I was faced with another situation that I had lost almost everything. Now, the difference was I had a little bit more education and a little bit more right. experience mm -hmm. than I did when I was 18. But I can't tell you how peaceful it was for me to be able to look back and realize that my happiness does not derive from money. Yeah. And so I go back to what you said. God is my source. You know, I think for the listeners out there, when we're losing it all and it seems hopeless and helpless and we don't see a way out, just remember that money is not the source of happiness. It's true. You know, God is our source. And also you and your family and friends and your relationships are the key to happiness. And I've gone through my whole life, including this latest crisis, knowing that at times I've had to just get down on my knees and give up. Also, what I've said to myself is that nobody so mm -hmm. when you have either god as your source or you're feeling like you have your close relationships with family and friends nobody can take that away from you that's true so that's my first takeaway and the second takeaway is that there's times in our lives where we don't want to have to deal with it but we must <laughs> true if we're going to survive and if we're yeah. going to thrive and when the crisis came, you know, with the pandemic and the economic shutdowns, which happened mm -hmm. across the world, which have now pushed more than 150 million people into poverty across the whole world. True. I'm very much against the idea of just locking everything down and saying, you know, mm -hmm. you know, that that's terrifying to me. And so when it all started to happen, I decided that I was going to 
improve myself and improve mm. my online courses and expand mm. that part of my business. And I basically spent the last year running at a very fast pace because I knew if I didn't do it, it's not all right. going to be there. And sure. so, you know, what I want to tell the listeners out there, and this is part of what I take away is that you said the second lesson is that you didn't stop and cut costs. Mm-hmm. So ladies and gentlemen, I really want you to learn from this that when it gets real and you realize, oh, this is a ticking, you know, time is ticking. Right. Yeah. The one thing you can control is your costs, mm-hmm. you know, and so as much as you can possibly cut those down, you're never going to get rich from right. cutting costs. True. But the point is there's times in our lives where we just need to survive. So those are some of the things that I take away. Is there anything you would add to that? Yeah. And I want to echo what you said about money doesn't bring happiness. And although I went through this and with the money, it wasn't the money. It was the pressure of the responsibility of all the, you know, the mortgage. That's where the pressure was. But again, I thought about when you said money doesn't bring happiness. And for those that are listening, you know, in the U.S. and and international, think about many of the superstars, entertainers, athletes, people that you know, that you looked up to, that were rich, and they committed suicide. Yeah, I always see Robin Williams, a guy. I I thought thought about him too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah. He was a class, you know, I was thinking about him too. When, when you were saying that, he was one of the ones I was thinking about. Robin Williams was, was one, the classic one. And so the money and the fame and the fortune didn't bring him happiness. Michael Jackson, you know, didn't bring him happiness. Whitney Houston, the money, the fame, the fortune didn't bring them happiness. And so we just have to keep that perspective in mind that make money our tool, but not our master. Hmm. And if we can do that and use it as a tool, make it your servant and not your slave, don't be a slave to it, then we could do great things with it and bless other people in the process. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. So based upon what you learned from this story and what you continue to learn, Mm -hmm. I now want you to think about a young man or woman listening to this right now Mm -hmm. who is starting to slide down that slope. Mm -hmm. What one action? would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? The one action I would recommend is for them to stop and cut the expenses. It's only temporary. It's not going to last always. Just stop and cut the expenses. So, you know, it's basically what you want to do is stop the leak. You have Mm -hmm. a leak, a plumbing leak, and you need to stop it till you can get it fixed and just do that and you can survive. And another thing I want to add is you can get through it. It may be tough, may not be easy, but you can survive and get through it. That's, I think, a great, great lesson that you bring to us is that through faith, through, you know, staying, you know, you you kept your marriage alive, you know, and all of that, we're going to, all of us will make it through it. And I think there's a great passage, this too shall pass. Yes, yes. Definitely. Yep. So last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months? My number one goal for the next 12 months, I am on a mission to eradicate and erase financial illiteracy. That's my goal is to educate family 
and individuals on financial illiteracy. It's huge and using some of my experience and also some of my professional experience. That's my goal is to educate people on how money works. Beautiful. So listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. My number one goal for the next 12 months is to help you, my listener, to reduce risk in your life. Go to myworstinvestmentever.com right now and download the risk reduction checklist and see how you measure up. And the idea of financial literacy and reducing risk go hand in hand. So as we conclude, Troy, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. And on behalf of Dots Academy, I hereby award you alumni status for yes. turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? My only parting words is, as I said earlier, you can get through it, even if you have to reach out to someone and just have a conversation and talk with them, get prayer, get encouragement, do that. Especially if, if it's a man, many times uh, <laughs> we let pride get in the way and we want to handle it all. But sometimes we need to let somebody know, hey, this is what's going on. I just need to talk. I need to get it off my chest. And it's okay to do that. That's a great way to end it, ladies and gentlemen. If you're facing trouble, pain, financial hardship, find someone you can trust and just grab them and talk to them about it. And sometimes just that process is enough to relieve that pressure that Troy has been talking about. And that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our wealth. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stott, saying, I'll see you on the upside.